Good morning. Is it on? It's on. All right. Uh, I'm going to pray. Father God, I just thank you uh, for today, and thank you for the snow that's coming so we can have some non-dreariness um, and just have clean white. Uh, we thank you for your word and for our lives and your testimony in our lives, and we just ask that you um, speak through your word this morning, and we bless your name. Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, good morning. Um, I'm excited to share a little bit with you guys. Uh, over the last weeks, the Lord has just been like having me chew on our testimonies, and it's been really interesting. Um, and I, the, the number one thing that I think I've realized is that our testimonies are never for us and they're always for others. Um, and that thought has really just kind of snowballed in my mind and, and brought more questions. And, and so what do, we, what do we do with our testimonies and, and how do I even share my testimony where it's impactful and not using churchy language uh, and, how, and what the purpose is of it and, and where do I actually get in the way of things? Uh, I hope today will help answer some of those questions, but my intent really is to challenge all of us to, to share yours, even if it doesn't seem to make sense. Do I need to move? No? no? Okay. Um, it's a spirit. So when I was 16, uh, I was asked to share my testimony with a group of people, and the guy who, who asked me to share it um, I didn't know him well, and I didn't want to share it because uh, I felt like he put me on the spot. And when I'm put on the spot, I, and I felt almost bullied into sharing it, I'm, I'm one of those people that when you push me to do something, I will dig in my feet and be slightly stubborn um, just for the sake of it, um, especially when I'm pressured into it. And I didn't think sharing my testimony was, was dumb or inappropriate or anything like that. I think it probably was at the looking back, but the circumstances didn't seem right, and, and the root of it was I actually felt really inadequate within it. And the reason there was that inadequacy was there, there wasn't a grand story to share. Uh, I, was, I was 16 at the time, and I accepted Christ when I was nine, and, and I went to youth group, and I did the right stuff. I, I wasn't a screw-up. And so what testimony did I have to share, especially in comparison to this guy who was in his 50s, and he was a biker, and he just lived a really hard life and had accepted Christ just a few years prior. Why would my testimony matter to him? What I realize now that it is that our lives don't really matter before Christ. We all need him to save us from sin and to relationship with God. And the more I think about it, the more I realize that that inadequacy was a subtle arrogance. And... I was 16, what else did I know? I wonder now, did he need something from my testimony that I had no idea about? Did I miss an opportunity to sharpen him? And really, like, how do I keep God in his place of the middle of everything and get myself out of the way in, in everything? So my response to this guy was essentially focused on me and my lack of an amazing story where I was was saved from incredibly destructive things. And a, a side note for all of us to remember is, is like, we've all been saved from incredibly destructive things. 
If we're in Christ, the sacrifice on the cross, God's sacrifice of his son and his enormous love for us, show us how incredible the power of sin was. If we're in him, it's not powerful anymore. But it was powerful before Christ. And no matter if you were a drug addict who was a trafficker who beat up old ladies for fun and kicked dogs, or grew up in the church and lived a good life, the cost of our sin is the same. It it, it all cost Jesus the exact same. It cost him his life. And it also takes something for us to die so that others might live. Acts 9 has this really incredible story of this guy named Saul. uh, And and he was later renamed Paul, and he was blinded on the road to Damascus. Has has anyone heard that story? Has anyone maybe not heard that story before? Once you've heard that story once? Okay, good. Good. This will be a refresher then. Um, And so he was on his way to Damascus to hunt down Christians, and, and ultimately lead them to their death. And it's, it's part of his story where Christ met him in an extraordinary way. So uh, Acts 9, if you have a Bible, if not, it's up there. Um, so meanwhile, Saul was, was uttering and still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for permission to go uh, and arrest people in um, Damascus. And they, they, he wanted that cooperation. Um, whenever he found anyone that belonged to the way, to, 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 to being a Christian, uh, no matter if they were men or women. He wanted to take them back as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's approaching Damascus, and on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood there speechless. So he had witnesses to this. So it wasn't just him and his own experience. It was other people around him. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked, him, picked himself up off the ground, and he opened his eyes, and he was blind. So his companions led him down the road to Damascus. And he remained there for three days, blind, and didn't eat or drink. So now there's Ananias, a disciple in Damascus. And, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, Yes, Lord. He knew God's voice in that moment. The Lord said, go straight, go, go to a straight street, to the house of Judas. When, when you get there, ask for an amni from, from Sarsis named, Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, Ananias exclaimed, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to, to arrest everyone. God told him, he's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by, the, on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something happened like scales falling off Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he got up and was baptized, and after he ate some food and regained his strength. Okay, so all that to say this. Let's recap. We hear this story, and we hear about Paul's road to Damascus, right? That's what we know. But have you ever thought about Ananias and what he did? So Paul saw was blind, so he couldn't arrest Christians in Damascus. 
he stayed and prayed and didn't eat for three days. So, so there's probably some soul searching going on, especially if you're blind in a moment, right? And scripture tells us that he was praying and not eating. And so maybe that indicates fasting of some kind. I'm sure if any one of us was in that position, we'd probably be like, all right, I'm going to try some things I've never tried before to make sure this doesn't happen again. And so Paul, that was going on. God spoke to Ananias to go to Paul. Ananias was waiting. Here I am, Lord. And in that, he was willing, but he pushed back when there was a tension there. He pushed back and said, God, are you, are you sure you want me to do this? And he went, and that changed everything. Essentially, it's this. Go to the guy who's intent on arresting all of your friends and family to turn them over and likely murder them. Go tell him about who I am, who you know me to be, what my character is, what I've saved you from, and what I'm saving you to, and pray for his sight to be restored. Restored physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because it wasn't just about what he could see. It was about the change of his heart, too. I want him to be filled with my spirit, to empower him to walk out what he's truly created for. That was Ananias' assignment. Go to the street. Go to the house. To go to the enemy and share God's love, pray for him, and watch him be restored. And he probably also had to get through like Paul's posse or whatever was there with him. What if God asked you to do that? What if God had you be living in Afghanistan right now? And you haven't been killed yet for being a Christian. What if he said, go to uh, Hayabatula Akuzada's house, the supreme leader of the Taliban, to tell him about Jesus? Head on over to so-and-so's house. Go down this street. Take a left here. Knock on that door. Walk in with a rifle in your face. That's a modern-day equivalent. Would you? Would I? I want to say yes. We'll be ready if that day comes. And is that an extreme example? Yeah. That's the point. But why is it so hard to do that at the grocery store? Ananias, I'm here, Lord. Go and face death. Go against all the cultural and logical wisdom that's available. Go and be my disciple and see this man restored. I've got work for you to do today, and I've got work for him to do. Go. And Ananias went. What was the the result of that? Paul wrote half the New Testament. He was shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned. He met with kings and rulers and the sharpest theologians and philosophers in all of history. All because Ananias decided to be obedient and risk it all, up to and including his life. We don't hear about Ananias again. Like we, there's, two other, there's two other Ananiases. Is that the plural version of Ananias? There's, there's one that dies right away because he didn't give all his money to, to where he was supposed to. And then there's another one who was just a priest. Um, but we don't hear about this guy again. We don't hear that he became Paul's spiritual father and discipled him and mentored him and, and taught him how to preach and taught him how to teach and all that stuff. We don't hear that he led the church in Damascus. We don't hear about Ananias of Damascus again. The Catholic historians believe that he was murdered for his faith in Armenia. 
and he's a saint in the Catholic Church. What's that tell us? He answered God, God's call again. Up to and including his death. All for the sake of the cross. All for the sake of Christ to be known. All for the sake of God to be glorified. Telling his story. Sharing his faith. Risking everything for others to know the freedom and love that God has for them and that drew Ananias in. We know of Paul. We know this to be Paul's story. It's a big story. But it doesn't happen without that disciple, this follower of Christ named Ananias. Not everyone is a Paul, but every one of us can be an Ananias. Our obedience and testimonies absolutely count for something. Our culture makes us think that the Pauls are the ones that count for doing something in the kingdom. That's a lie. The platform, the personality, the calling, that's all important for some people, but all of us, all of us are called to be an Ananias. And there may not be a Paul without an Ananias. I saw a modern-day Ananias event last month. I was down in South Carolina having dinner with some chaplains. And we went out to dinner, and the most senior chaplain did something that I've never seen. It's just so really natural and simple. I'll give you this. We were in the Bible Belt, so it's probably received a little bit differently than other places. But they brought us our food, and, and he, said, he said to the server, Hey, we're about to pray. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? It was, it, she was a college student. She's like, well, you know, I've got finals coming up or whatever, midterms, whatever it was. And All right, great. And for whatever reason, we didn't eat yet. And then the manager came up, and he asked him the same thing. And he's like, man, I just started here, and I'm new to the restaurant industry. So I don't know if anyone, why would you ever hire someone who's new to the restaurant industry to run a restaurant? That's beyond me. But God had an intent with this. See, this chaplain had owned multiple restaurants. And he was able to, like, understand what this guy's issue was right in that moment. The anxieties that he had, the, the fear that he had, am I going to do a good enough job? I'm a week into this. I, I don't know if, if it's going to work out. The chaplain told him, well, I guess I know how to pray for you even more now. Then he shared some metrics for this kid to look at to be able to impress his bosses and said, run your restaurant by these things, and you'll be successful. I think it's that simple. I think that kid's going to remember that, that this guy who said, hey, can I pray for you? And it turned into this. I think he's going to hold on to that. That's when he needs it. Well, gosh. That, I remember that experience. Because that can't be a normal thing. Maybe it is in South Carolina. I don't know. But I've never seen it done before. What if it's that simple? What if a, a simple question like that opens up something that we can't even see? If this is supposed to be part of our everyday lives, why is it so hard? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of our own inadequacy? Of receiving what someone says and how that affects us? Are we afraid of how we feel if they reject us and, and what we have to say? 
Shouldn't we live in a healthy inadequacy of trusting God's voice, looking like a fool and pointing back to him? Ananias feared death. We fear embarrassment. We fear rejection. That's not what we're called to. Revelation 12, 9 to 11 talks about us uh, overcoming the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We are called to set captives free, which means we need to go to prisons and break them out. The emotional and spiritual bondage. We need to be able to go in there and help people unlink those chains to get free. But there's some kind of courage that that takes. We're called to overcome the enemy, which means we need to do things that take risk. We're called to to an audacious love, which means we will do things that are countercultural. And we're called to trust God and live in an expectancy that he moves and does something with our lives and in our time. I think, friends, we're there. Like, there's no matter in our history in the last 50 years, we're at a great place for this to take root in our lives and express it. What if we responded to God like Habakkuk did? Habakkuk 3.2 says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. What if we said, God, I, I, I have heard of you. I've heard these stories from other people, and I'm blown away. Make them come again and use me to be a part of it. Make your name and your character known in these days and make your mercy and grace known instead of your wrath and help me to love the way you do. Romans 2 tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. His goodness, his kindness, his desire for relationship is what has turned each of us to face him and no longer face sin permanently if we're in Christ. Where does our kindness lead? Are we kind enough to stop and listen? Are we kind enough to have the courage to share our story, even a portion of it, with a stranger? I hope so. And it's really hard. It's not easy. But we have to lose something. Christ lost his life for us. What What do we lose? My 60-year-old self still bothers me. There's been a long path of having the belief of unhealthy inadequacy and and coming to healthy inadequacy that results in trusting God. And I think the church word is sanctification for that. I think it's being made holy, and it's a process. And this thing of, of, of sharing our testimony with a random stranger is a process. Unless you just want to let her rip, go for it. Maybe you will be called out like Ananias when we walk out of this building today. That'd be great. Maybe God will highlight something in your life that needs to change for someone else. I was afraid of my testimony 20 years ago, and I'm not afraid of it anymore. There are a lot of boring things to it. A lot. And there's some really amazing and 
absolutely overwhelming moments of God's grace in it. I want to share just a tiny little sip of that grace with you. So I'm, I'm moving to Germany, if you didn't know that, uh, for a bit. And with that, I've decided to sell pretty much everything I have or give it away. Um, one major thing that's been on my mind to get, to get rid of was my truck. I love my truck. I don't know what it is about small Toyota trucks, but... I had a lot of dreams with it, and, and there's lots of stories with it, and lots of miles and talks with God with it, and even how I got it was an amazing story. And lots of texts and calls and with this guy who bought it has been really incredible. Two weeks ago, he, he reached out and said, uh, hey, I'm interested, and he was coming through town, and... Um, and he looked at it, and he said, real interested then. And as we talked, he, he said of what he wanted to do with the truck, of, of how he desired to, to take his kids on adventures and just live in the woods for a while and teach them a different way of life than, than what they know. And I'm like, man, when I bought this truck, that's so similar to what I had hoped for. And the night before I, I brought it over to him, um, I sent him a text and I said, hey, man, I've got a story for you about this truck that actually made me want to sell it to you. Like, I wanted him to have this. And God works out all things for our good, including our time. Because my brother was an hour late picking me up. So me and that guy went for a ride. And the first thing he asked about was that story. Hey, man, what was that story you're talking about? Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad I have a captive audience. <laughs> I told him what my dream was for the truck and how it didn't come to fruition for myself. And I told him point blank that I said, I think that dream was for you and your family. Because I think God does that in our lives. If you have a dream for a business, it's probably not for you. It's probably for someone else. Just like our testimonies aren't for us, it's for someone else. Our dreams can be the same way. So he and I, we geek out about the truck, and he didn't seem too weird, weirded out that I shared this with him, and he gives me the money, and my brother's still not there, so he's like, hey, you want to go for a ride? I want to test this thing out. Yeah, man, I got the money, let's go. <laughs> and as we're driving, he starts unpacking this elaborate story of his life. And I'm like, what did I get myself into? Who, who, who goes and, and sells a truck and you hear someone's life story? And he's listening today, if this is live or he's gonna, he said he's going to. And he gave me permission to share this. He started sharing the wounds of his life and, and what was going on right now and, and how all that happened and how his faith had come in the last year. And he took me to this big giant hill and he told me a story of where God met him there in the middle of the night when he was running. <laughs> and he shared some more. And he asked, what do you think I should do? I don't know, man. <laughs> like, that's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> so I stopped and I just sat there and I, 
all right, Lord, what do you got for this guy? Two things came to mind. I said, you, you, came, you came to Christ about a year ago, you said. Yeah. I said, lead your family to him. So that's number one. Okay. I said, are you tied into a church? He's like, yeah, Pastor Todd, he's great. Awesome. Keep going. So the second thing, I said, ask God these two questions. How much do you love me? What were you thinking about when you made me? Those are two questions that speak to our identity and our value in Christ. And when we can have those firmly established in us, our fear goes away. Our fear of talking to a stranger about who Christ is, about our testimony, of all that stuff, when those things are firmly established in us, everything changes. And it doesn't matter. You, you can reject me. Whatever. Good. Thank you. That, that actually is a benefit to me. I didn't have answers for his specific nuanced situation. Maybe you will. Sometimes we don't. In all circumstances, we can share with others how much God loves them and remind them that they were created for a purpose and an intent. Even if, even if they don't believe that God exists, even if they're agnostic or an atheist or whatever, we can still share that because it's still truth. Our job is to plant seeds. This guy believes, so I encourage him to ask God for himself in these questions and to scour scripture for what God says about him and what God says to do with his life. And it starts with leading his family. We sit there. We pull back to, into the gas station where my brother was meeting us and my brother was there. And we sit in the truck for another 15 or 20 minutes just talking. Finally, he's like, dude, I got to go. Because <laughs> we were in Wakefield. I had to drive back to Iremont, then I had to come, come home. And my brother had a long day already. I wanted to spend time with my brother. So we're sitting there at the hood of the truck. I just signed the title over to him. And uh, he's like, I thought I was just going to buy a truck tonight. He's like, and I made a lifelong friend. He gave me a hug. He gave me thousands of dollars and gave me a hug. I should have been a car salesman. <laughs> like, what? that was so weird to tell that guy about a personal story when you're trying to sell him a truck. But what if I didn't? Then I went probably texted him this morning some different scriptures and stuff to encourage him. Because it's all pointing back to Christ. That's the hope and the intent with the story. Hananias just thought he was going to be obedient, but he changed all of history. Paul's testimony, the, the, the great apostle, the great theologian, the man who wrote half the New Testament, the man we point to for so much of what Christian living should look like and what walking with God looks like, traces his spiritual roots to accepting Christ to Ananias. Ananias, who loved God, who believed his kindness was so great that he was willing to lose his life for God's sake. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Ananias' kindness led Paul to repentance. What will yours do? I want to challenge all of us today to, to, to be open to his voice in ways that we're uncomfortable with. 
to be open to hearing from him and responding in these things like Ananias. But your life has these stories too. We just need to look at it. We need to trust his process to trust his kindness and extend it. I think one of the most dangerous things about our time right now is the culture of narcissistic tendencies that social media has created. It makes us the center of our universe. What's it going to take for you to face outward? We're sitting in a circle right now, right? What does it take for us to stand up and to turn around and to face to the community and be bold as lions? Will you do that in your lives? Will you do that at lunch today? Will you do what like, like, like that chaplain did? It's uncomfortable. Will you live in dis discomfort for a few minutes and see what it does for the kingdom? Remember this thing going around at some point, it just takes seven seconds of courage. I think it was talking about asking a girl out on a date. But that's all it takes for us too, is seven seconds of courage to like do something for the kingdom. Just be obedient. That's it. We don't have to worry about the end result. We don't have to worry about whether they get saved or not. We just have to walk with them and allow God to water those seeds, grow that harvest, and reap the reward in due time. Our testimonies don't have to be pretty. They just have to be genuine. Our stories of God's goodness don't have to be earth-shattering because we're regular people talking with regular people about regular life stuff. They just have to be real and meaningful. And I really believe in our every part of our everyday lives. Um, here's the assignment part. Break up into groups to pray. I, I want to challenge you to ask for boldness and confidence. To see things in our day that you've only heard about or dreamt of. I want to challenge you to share pieces of your testimony with a stranger who's in your group who needs his love and his kindness because it's good to practice here so we can do it out there. And you never know what may happen. There's going to need to be Ananiases in our day because we need Pauls and Peters and Johns as well. Who will you be? Who do you want to be? And what can happen if you just step out and begin to share. So I'm just going to pray and then break up and pray. All right. Lord, thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for the courage that you, you led with to the cross and how you've walked with us through our mess and how you're doing something with each of our testimonies and each of our lives and each of each of the fears that we have and help us to overcome those things and give us opportunity to. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing. And just ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.